0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Thursday, January 14th, 2021. Enemies. Enemies is a pretty strong word. Who comes into your mind, if anyone, when you think about your enemies. That's something we're going to kind of see a concept of in multiple places today in God's Word, especially as we look at the lives of Jesus and we consider the example of King David. Now, as we think about these examples, we realize that many times when they are talking about their enemies, they're talking about people who are literally trying to kill them, right? We know Jesus ultimately was killed by his enemies. We also know that was according to the sovereign plan of God, but he had enemies that were literally trying to take his life. We also see that in the life of King David, how even before he was king, he had the real enemy of Goliath and the Philistines, and then King Saul was trying to hunt him down. And even after he was king, most notably his own son, Absalom, is trying to take his throne and take his life. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that for most of you listening to this podcast, your enemies do not quite fit that description. But does that mean you don't have enemies? I mean, even one phrase that is used to describe uh, much of the debate and discussion in our culture is that of the culture wars, right? That even whether it's politically or or socially, there's different sides that are warring against each other. And while you might not think the other side is literally trying to take your life, you might look at certain people in this culture that you are thinking are advancing things that are evil and you think of them as uh, somewhat of an enemy. Maybe it is something more, more personal, and you do feel like someone has or is treating you unfairly. Maybe that's in your family. Maybe that's at a, at your workplace. And maybe even on some level, you, you do feel persecuted that some people are persecuting you for your faith whether that's just mocking you or making fun of you or actually doing other things to try and and hurt you in some way and maybe not maybe not even physically because you are trying to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ Uh, Maybe it's some rival you have or or someone in your workplace that you just really have a hard time getting along with, right? Uh, I doubt enemies for us conjures up quite the images that it does for Jesus or for David. But I do want you to think, who are the people you find yourself opposed to in this life? And then I want us to think about, well, what would God want us to do? In those situations. And that's where we're going to open up again to Matthew chapter 5. And today, look at verses 38 through 48. 38 through 48. And we actually want to jump right in, in verse 43, where again, Jesus uses this formula of, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And here he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to, to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For me, he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so, there, right up front, Jesus says, Hey, whoever it is that comes into your minds, uh, when you think of people that are your enemies, when you think of people that persecute you, the two words that he commands you. To treat those people with our love and pray. We are to love our enemies. We are to pray for those who persecute us. So I want you to think maybe even some of those categories that we thought about earlier, right? Let's even think about the the culture wars or maybe kind of a more uh, cultural or political perspective. When you look out at people that that you think are on the other side from you, and and maybe even you have just and right reasons that these people are not advancing what is good in our culture, God's command to you is to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Even we think about the political realm, right? Which political figure in the United States do you find kind of the most you would describe as an enemy or, or someone who is seeking to do what is what is wrong and, and persecute Christians? Are there faces and names that are coming to your mind right now? God is calling you to pray for those individuals. And if you are not praying for them, I'd encourage you to pause this podcast right now and really repent And say, God, I need to pray for those that that I consider uh, my enemies on some level. Pray for those even that I think have ill intent towards Christians. I need to be praying for them. And think about maybe people more in your life or your your social settings, or maybe it's a, a family member that you just really have a hard time getting along with, or a family member that you think has wronged you, or that person at, at work that they're always just criticizing you unfairly, or they are even they mock you because you are not joining in the coarse joking or the foul language, or you're being pressured to do something unethical ethical, your workplace, whatever it may be. Are you praying for those who are persecuting you, praying for those who are mocking you? This is what God calls us to do. And yes, on some level, we look at it and that is shocking. Well, that, that that's the point. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, hey, anybody can love their friends. It takes someone with a real faith in God to love and pray for their enemies and those that are opposed to them. And really, he says, do this so that you can be like me. You have to realize today, God is providing food, rain, weather, the seasons are changing for the just and the unjust. And also, we should even do one, one better and look ultimately at the example of Jesus Christ who was on the cross being crucified. And in that moment, was praying for those who had put him there, saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. How much do we pray that for people around us, even people that we see opposing God in public ways or opposing God by mocking Christianity or by mocking you, do we find ourselves saying things like, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what what they're doing? And also consider not just the example of Jesus, consider the example of persecuted Christians throughout the, the millennia since Christ and how so often, even as they were dying, they were following the example of Jesus and praying for those who had persecuted them, praying for those who had put them to death. Yes, this is this is radical, but, but that's because the gospel is radical. And we have to remember that while we were enemies, While we were in sin, Christ died for us and he has forgiven us and he has saved us. And therefore, there should be some kind of radical reflection of that in our lives. So I would encourage you today to think of those who is it in your life that you might, you know, even they might not be trying to kill you literally, but who are the people that come to mind even when you think about that word enemies or those that persecute you or those that harm you? Are you praying for them and not just praying you know, for judgment upon them, but praying for God to have mercy on them, praying for good for them, and praying like Jesus did, that their eyes would be opened to the truth, right? Well, we as Christians need to follow the example of Christ in these things. And one thing that is clear in the passage before, as we think about enemies or those who mistreat us, is we as Christians are clearly called here and then throughout scripture not to retaliate. We are not to return evil for evil. And Jesus says, "'Hey, you've heard it said, "'an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, "'but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. "'And if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, "'turn to him the other also.'" instead of slapping back Christ again is calling us to something radically different now how in the world can we think that way well that's where it might be helpful now to turn to psalm 9 psalm 9 and so many of these early psalms are are written by king David and here again he talks about enemies and as we were looking at verses 1 through 10 today in verse 3 it talks about his enemies and, and It's amazing how even when he's talking about his enemies, look how confidently he starts. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Even in the midst of of enemies and persecution, David is praising God with his whole heart. Pretty strong language for how he is praising God. Why is it then that he can do that? Well, he is confident that God is in control. In verse 5, he says, You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits in throne forever. He has established his throne for justice. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. And here he kind of is saying, I know that God will take care of the enemy. God is in, the, in control. He is the judge and he will rule with perfect justice. And that's something we even see in the New Testament. You think of Romans when it calls us not to return evil with evil. It reminds us they don't do that because vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and God is going to judge those who do evil. And so that's something that helps us, especially when we think of it in a more personal context, not to retaliate with those who wrong us because we know, hey, God is ultimately going to judge them. God is going to take care of that. And in the meantime, what I want to do is not just necessarily pray for that person's judgment. I want to pray for their repentance and that they would know the forgiveness that I've come to experience through Jesus Christ. And David even knows that God is the one who can protect him from these enemies. In verse nine, he says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who forsake you. He knows that God is with him. And so he has a radically different perspective. Uh, He has joy and confidence even in the midst of persecution because he knows God is in control and God will take care of those who do what is wrong. And and so that can help us think through these radical commands to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. And as I, I hope as we think about what God has done for us and what God has said he will do to those who do evil, help us to obey these commands. Well, another command that we know throughout scripture is that we are not supposed to lie, that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But our last two passages, I think, will help us see some of that and give us a strong warning against it, but also an encouragement to those of us who have told lies. And we start in... Acts chapter five, verses one through 11. And here we see the familiar story of Ananias and Sapphira, who clearly the context is uh, we we are seeing the the early church share Uh, they're being persecuted. And so they are making sure that everyone is not in need. Everyone has what they need. And even people were selling property and giving the proceeds to the church so that they can make sure everybody was taken care of. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they sell a piece of land and they give some of the proceeds to the church. And it seems from the context that the problem is not that they didn't give it all. The problem is that they lied. The problem is that it, they made it appear that they gave it all when actually they held something back for themselves. And because they lie about this, both of them are struck dead. I mean, that, what, a, what a severe consequence. And it even talks about how those who are, are responded in fear to this. And I think this is a powerful reminder that Christians should see sin for how serious it really is. And that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. And even they're accused of lying to God. That is a serious thing. And we also think about lying as we turn to Genesis chapters 28 and, or sorry, 29 and 30. And here we're resuming the story of Jacob. And who is Jacob at this point? Well, one thing we know he has been is he has been a liar just yesterday, we read how he lied to the face of his father and tricked and deceived his father. And here we, we kind of see what, what goes around comes around. And, you know, there's a lot of secular uh, things that try to give those ideas. But that is something we see in Scripture. Whatever one sows, that's what they will reap. And, and Jacob has been a deceiver And now he gets deceived. In chapter 29, he is deceived by his father-in-law Laban. After he works seven years to marry Rachel, Laban tricks him. And instead of Rachel, it says in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And now he is kind of reaping the fruit of what he has sown. And so we see that in his Life And that should be a warning to us, I think, against lying. We see Ananias and Sapphira being struck down dead. We see Jacob reaping what he has sown. But I also hope that you see some uh, some hope through this. That even look at what God is doing in the life of Jacob. I think over the course of these many chapters, we're going to see God change Jacob's heart. And even in the midst of all this craziness and him being deceived, we see God starting to build a family for Jacob. Jacob, a family that these 12 sons ultimately becoming the 12 tribes of Israel, that despite Jacob's failure and even some of the failures we've seen in Isaac and Abraham, God is working to keep his promises. And so may we we never find an excuse to lie or be deceptive. But even as we probably all look back and regret lies that we have made and sins of our past, may we find encouragement that even despite our own sin, God can still work and be merciful and be faithful to us. And may an awareness even of our own sin and God's mercy to us cause us to be merciful to others and to obey Christ's command to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us.